This is ESPN's Aussie Hoops Hour. Round one of the NBL is in the books. Melbourne United start 2-0. Are they the clear favourites for the title early in the season? The Wildcats' defence, is this going to be problematic moving forward? The Brisbane Bullets, are they back in postseason contention? And what about the Adelaide 36ers? Not the start they were after. And a question for you, Olgs, later in the podcast. The Sydney Kings, do they have the two front runners for most improved player? There is so much to talk about. I'm Kane Pittman. And as I mentioned, alongside me, Olga Nulich and Olgs, it was so much fun to be back in an NBL arena. We went to two games specifically here in Melbourne. Interesting in their own right. But as I mentioned, with so many headlines to walk through here on this podcast, I'm just going to throw to you straight away and say, what team or what storyline do you want to hit first? Because we've got no time to waste. Perth. Okay. Because I don't know what they are. Uh, Perth is a lot of fun. They play really fast. They're dynamic. Um, they they feel big. They feel so athletic. Um, but I don't know if they're great or not. Um, I think the jury is still out. There are some teams where I say, like, I like the talent there. I like the way you're organized. You play a way that is conducive to winning going forward. With Perth, I think I like them. And I think I like the pieces. I think I like the additions. I, it, it plugs up a lot of the holes from last season. However, we've already seen some of the same issues we saw last mm. season. Are they? Is that something that is indicative of just the way that John really wants to play? I don't know, but I, I like what they do offensively, generally. I like the talent. Uh, do they need more point guard depth? Maybe. Uh, is their defense, is that an issue? Is this something that is foundational? Like potentially, and the rebounding is also still an issue. It's round one, not going to go crazy, uh, but they're just the one team that I'm just so intrigued about because I don't know if they're good or not. It's hard not to walk away from this game on Sunday and not feel a little bit rattled by giving up 38 points to Southeast Melbourne Phoenix in the third quarter. This was a game that I think Perth would have gone in feeling good about. They didn't have Ty Webster. That was certainly referenced a lot in the post game, but I think it's the fact that some of the storylines from last year, you mentioned the rebounding, the d- defense overall. I think that's what makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit. And I think if you're the Perth Wildcats, you're just watching it. I spoke to someone pregame in Melbourne at John Kane Arena who said that they thought that this Perth Wildcats team has more talent than any other in the league. Individual talent? I know uh, the great Leonard Copeland referenced the idea of how much individual talent could be too much. I think this roster is stacked. I don't think they're going to have any problem scoring the ball, although they had some tough stretches against the Phoenix on the weekend, who historically hasn't been a good defensive team. I think we can get to the Phoenix in a little bit. But the defensive stuff, the personnel, I think is great. Whether it is Pinder and Saar at the five, Doolittle, I think, who really just got off the plane, so it's not fair to look at him for another few weeks and what he can bring. But I know the Wildcats front office is pretty optimistic about what Doolittle can do. So defensively, and Jordan Usher, who was unbelievable in the opener against Tassie, but I think the personnel is there for me not to be too concerned right now. That was disastrous against the Phoenix on the weekend, but that's going to happen over the course of a season. But I think this is a different look Perth Wildcats squad. I'm not too concerned yet, but the offensive rebound, 27 offensive rebounds and 30-second chance points over two games, it's too many. And this team with the personnel, that shouldn't happen. What, what do you think about some of the talk around the league that they lack point guard depth, that they need someone to get them into their offense, right? Ty Webster wasn't there. He's dealing with, I think, a calf strain right now. So that's obviously a part of it. But even when he's back, 
I don't know if there, there's no like, who's the backup point guard on that team. It's like, ostensibly it's Henschel. Mm. I don't think he's like a sort of ball carrying, creating sort of guy. I like him as sort of an off ball shooter, scorer sort of player. Um, I, I feel like that could be an issue because there was a lot of pressure on Bryce Cotton in that game to create, and basically Southeast was just up and in. Um, so that's one of my questions, and the other is how legitimate is it for John really to blame a lot of those third quarter issues on fouls? Um, it feels almost like a cop out because it's every team deals with officiating issues. Uh, I think Perth was maybe given the short end of that stick to an extent during that night, but I don't think it was to the point of uh, conceding 38 points in a quarter. Yeah, I thought the John Reilly press conference was fascinating because I think he deserves a lot of credit for putting his hand up and yeah. talking about the emotions of the team and the fact that the Wildcats didn't really handle this well. And he took that on board himself and said, talked about the preparation, talked about the emotional roller coaster this team went through. So with so many new guys... I think it is going to be a question for this Perth team how they can continue to grow as a team and work through those moments when things aren't going well. Because I think that's the other question to look at against this Southeast Melbourne team. They had 32 free throw attempts. It completely disrupted the rhythm of the Perth Wildcats offensively because they looked really dangerous in transition to start this game. And I think they're going to be a team that wants to play fast rather than in the half court because of the reasons that you mentioned. Because Bryce Cotton can do what he wants. And he had 10 assists in this game. So in the first half, he was highly influential. I think key players messed up the rotation. They weren't able to get to the lineups they wanted to because of the foul trouble. So I think that the for Sunday, at least, the foul stuff and the Phoenix getting to the free throw line as much as they did. I think it's a legitimate, uh, it wasn't a, le- a legitimate issue for the Perth Wildcats and a reasonable uh, thing to point to as to why, okay, this wasn't an ideal day for us, but moving forward, uh, they will need to be better with the emotions because a lot of players out there, we were there and maybe you don't see it so much on TV, but after every call, during plays, if it was down the other end of the floor, they were complaining, they weren't happy, and they just looked completely distracted. It's something that people around the league brought up even before the season began, uh, the, the emotion stuff. And it's interesting that John really John has brought it up so quickly. Uh, because you look at that team, and I guess another question is, who who's the emotional leader of that team? Because it's it, it's generally it generally has to be someone who plays enough minutes that he's out there enough and contributing from a production standpoint, but also someone who uh, has some level of experience and has sort of a, a resume behind him to an extent. You look at other teams, and for example, Southeast has Mitch Creek, right, who is proven and and is sort of leads from the front, right? That's his personality. Bryce Cotton isn't necessarily that style of person, right? He's more laid back. He's more quiet. He's that, that silent assassin sort of guy. Uh, Keanu Pinder is sort of their marquee signing, but he's not really that either. I think he's similar to Bryce from a personality standpoint. And so, who do, who can they lean on? Who's the, that guy who can, you know, keep those emotions there, but sort of refine them and keep them intact? And I I wonder if that could be an issue going forward. As far as really said it, he didn't want to take take the emotion away from these guys. It's no. what makes a lot of these guys great. The the reason why Jordan Usher is great is because he plays with such emotion. But if no one's there to keep them in check and sort of keep those emotions intact but like in the sort of guiding them in the right direction making things more deliberate then they have there's potential for it to sort of go haywire and i don't know who that guy is it might be jesse wagstaff uh, historically but is he going to play enough but in the locker room i think he might be the guy so there's talking points from the perth wildcats to watch and 
as we continue to dis- discuss all these teams, I think this is going to be the way we're going to look at this. So it's two games. So if yeah. you're the Perth Wildcats, you're not panicking, but you just take down some notes and say, okay, what does this look like over the next three to four rounds? And if you're looking for the positives over the first two games, Alex Saar, uh, both from the skill set, extraordinary to watch so in person. Good. The first time I've seen it in person and uh, whether you're up close in the warm-ups and just the size of this guy and the skills that he has, there was one play, I don't really remember what quarter it was in, but he was able to drive to the basket above the rim, drop the ball, and he could have thrown it down with one hand as he want, if he wanted to, but it was even more graceful the way he did it. He's extraordinary to watch in person. And then you mentioned uh, Ben Henschel, who was a massive, massive positive for this team. And you love the attitude in the post game. He didn't play in game one. He wasn't happy about it. So he responds and drops 24 points. So the Wildcats, I think, are in fine spot. I still have them absolutely in the playoff mix this year, or I would have them as a playoff team right now, even though they start the season one and one What about the Phoenix just quickly, though? Because... I wanted to point to, and you take this however you want, Olgs, but I'm say. not going to look at the stats too much just because it's it's far too noisy at this point in time. But two things that did carry on from last year was the ability of this team to get to the free throw line, 60 free throw attempts across two games so far, and their ability on the offensive glass to cause teams problems, get extra possessions, and allow themselves to stay in the game on the offensive end. So Tyler Cook... Seven offensive rebounds, Craig Moller five, Mitch Creek four over the the two games so far. So the characteristics certainly on the offensive end, you think that this team is still going to be problematic to defend because of those reasons. Yeah, and and I think it's because they have so many like creation points. Whether it's Gary Brown when because mm. he returned, Will Cummings was really really good on Sunday. I thought he had a really good bounce back game. Mitch Creek looked more like himself. Uh, there was a sense going into after that first game that he was maybe a bit. Yeah, he yeah. had a giant, a big season in Puerto Rico, uh, came in, hadn't really played too much. He's sort of played sparingly throughout the preseason. So wasn't really sure when he was going to look like himself. The shot was falling. He's getting in the paint. Uh, I think that he's really good at playing alongside a big like Tyler Cook. Um, and then Tyler Cook was also massive. Just the force he played with made it really difficult for Perth to, you know, the, the, the foul issues were already a thing. And when Tyler Cook is playing with so much force, it's even harder to guard. Um, and then just like the, we, we've spoken about the depth over the past few years with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, and it's always been an issue. And I, st- I still think it might be an issue this season, but we saw glimpses of where they're going to get production from certain guys, whether it's Ben Eyre hitting shots. Just his ability to, to drop 10 points in 10 minutes is something that will help this team because I don't think they're going to be a particularly high-scoring team throughout the season. And then someone like Craig Muller, who can come in, make an impact on both ends, especially defensively, where he can sort of be that that guy who steps in and takes charges, uh, that the help defender. He's so versatile, that six eight, uh, playing on the wing there. And they really like his his jump shot as well. They think his three point shot will take a, a step up. I think those sort of ancillary pieces stepping in and playing those sorts of roles is going to be huge for this team. I thought Reese Vague was really good too. I didn't think he was going to be some crazy defender, and I don't think he will be. But I think the way he guarded in that that Perth game, you know, helping on Bryce and just walling up, getting rebounds. I thought that was big too. I thought that their bench stepped up a lot. I think this was one of the things that we disagreed on last week a little bit. I think I liked the depth a little bit more than you did. But the one thing that I did point out is you have to be healthy. And I think if you look at the rotation from game one to game two, uh, Gary Brown coming into the rotation and he only played 13 minutes in this game. But I think everything just looked a little more stable. They looked like they had another creator because Ben Eyre, who's been impressive so far in the season... 
I ultimately still think his best role is going to be the sixth man, real scoring punch off the bench, yeah. and then the the strength of the starting five looks good. So I think overall, I was really happy for Mike Kelly to pick up this win. I thought his press conference was great after the game, always very thoughtful. And he referenced the idea that you were eager to get your first win. It wasn't the way they wanted to start against Melbourne United. They weren't able to score. I don't think they're going to be the only team that struggles to score against Melbourne United, and potentially that's where we can pivot to now. 2-0 for Melbourne. How do you view the opening weekend for this team? Because I don't think defensively, terrifying. Yeah. But on the offensive end, I still think this is where the development is going to be. Yeah, and, and I'm not even too concerned about that because I don't think Chris Golding shot it particularly well over these first two games. Shay Ely shot it horrifically over these first two games. I think those I think those shots fall. I think those looks are just fine. And so once you have those two clicking and then you add Ian Clark, who didn't play either of those two games, that's what he was brought in to do, to be that extra creator, that extra scoring punch. The scoring I don't think is an issue because you're going to get it from those guys. Um, I think a huge difference maker is obviously Delhi, and I don't think he hasn't shot it well either, but I just think he's aggression. And just we saw it in the Blitz and we're still seeing it now. Him putting so much heat on the rim at mm. all times, just him being a score-first guy just changes things for that team. It makes the defense focus on him and, and then everyone else gets better looks. But also Luke Travers, who is playing like their sort of go-to guy almost. Like when when it's, when it comes to crunch time, that ball is in Luke Travers' hands and he's the one who's creating. I think he looks like he looks way more mature than he has over the past few seasons in Perth. And I think that's the thing that, that's going to help this team. I, I think Golding and Ely and the return of Ian Clark will make things pretty okay for that team offensively. Luke Travers, 127 possessions over the two games, the most on the team. So we've discussed his role and how it's fluctuated for different reasons in Perth as he, as he has continued to develop. Uh, he's he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. And I think that's going to be the best thing for him moving forward. I want to come back to Matthew Dalladova just for a little bit because you referenced the idea of his scoring aggression and the fact that he is putting pressure on the defense to now consider him as a scorer. And I want to acknowledge how big this change is for a guy that's been a professional for 10 years and has never played this way. Mm. They discussed the idea of this being the case two years ago in the NBL, and it it didn't really happen. This is clearly a shift for Dally, and I don't think anyone should underestimate how big a change this is for a guy that's played one way for his entire career and now at this point is changing it up. So across the first two games, he's had 19 shot attempts, so 38 total shot attempts. He's only scored 36 points. That efficiency has got to be a lot better, but I think it's totally fine because he mentioned after the game against Southeast Melbourne, he's still learning and he's still trying to work out when is the time for him to shoot? When is the time for him to facilitate? But ultimately, how can him as a scorer, how can he as a scorer be shifting the defense? And I think we've seen a lot of that so far. So I mentioned the 19 field goal attempts per game. Before this NBL season started, his career high in field goal attempts in the NBA was 18. His career <laughs> high in the NBL in field goal attempts was 18. The last time he took more shots than he took in the season opener against the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix was March 2012 against Gonzaga in a 78 <laughs> to 74 win for St. Mary's. So it has legitimately been 11 seasons since Matthew Dellavedova has taken that many shots in a game. And I love it. And I think ultimately, I, I do think that they're Melbourne United. There might be a question on the amount of outside shooting they have, but Delhi doing this 
I think is going to change the way they can operate. I love it. Yeah, and I I think it's helpful that someone like Flynn Cameron is also willing to shoot it. Yeah, uh, someone like Tanner Krebs over those first two games is averaging five three point attempts. Right, shooting at thirty percent, which is fine. It'll probably tick up, but like them, those guys willing to shoot it, that that defense is just going to keep collapsing on Delhi if this is the way he's going to continue playing. Uh, those guys shooting it, and then I look at, and then I look at Golding and and Ian Clark and in Shirley sort of getting to their shooting ways. Ian Clark coming back, I think it's just going to open up so much for this team. Um, what's the over under on how many stakes Delhi's had this week? If you're going off social media. <laughs> My man is eating some red meat. And reminding us that it is a steak, in case we didn't notice that it, it is an obvious ribeye on the post. And grounding too, which I was like somewhat familiar with, but he mentioned it in my sort of blitz interview with him. Grounding, which is, I assume, just feet on the earth, and that's apparently helpful. Uh, he looks like he's in a great space. And I, yeah. again, I found him very interesting in the post game. I, clearly, I found every single press conference just absolutely <laughs> stunning over the weekend. I'm just glad the NBL is back. Uh, Ariel Hook Porty, just quickly, I mentioned him last week. I tried to you know, stake my claim in the Ariel Hook Porty All NBL case. He had a fantastic start. A little bit fumbly to start the game against the Phoenix. Probably nervous. I think that. Melbourne United were pushing to get him the ball a little bit, uh, but outstanding start for Hook Porty and the numbers defensively with him on the floor, uh, dominant so far, very small sample size. A, a team that we didn't discuss a lot last week, but I walked away feeling pretty optimistic about, maybe not as optimistic as you, but the Brisbane Bullets. Where are you at with this team after... Uh, really, they handled the Adelaide 36ers after a pretty shaky start they were able to recover. Do you, do you think I'm not high on the bullets? No, I think you're higher than me. Oh, okay, yeah. true. I was yeah. making sure because yeah. in our headline or storyline yeah. story, I was very high Find on Find that it. on ESPN.com.au. A new yeah. column uh, every Monday, headline or storyline, three headlines, and then we have to decide whether we think that's uh, it's a bit hot takey or this is actually actually genuine and something we should track throughout the season. So every Monday that's going to drop uh, me, Olgs, and Peter Hooley as well. NBL champion Peter Hooley. That's right. Carry on with the Brisbane Bullets. Uh, the Bullets. Uh the, okay, so the start of that game was really funny. Uh, not if you're a Bullets fan. Not if you're a Bullets fan. Uh, but also not if you're a 36ers fan, because that was wiped away real quick. Yes. So it was a 15-0 start for the 36ers. And in my mind, I'm thinking, are, are all of our preconceived notions of both of these teams absolutely wrong? Like, what have we done? Is this what the, the 36ers are going to look like? And then they just never look like that again. Um, the Bullets... The, I spoke to some people after that game. They never really felt phased during that 15-0 run. Mm. They they felt like okay, like we this is fine. We've like we we can handle this, and they very much did. Um, I I'm gonna say what I've been saying all along. I think if Nathan Sobey and Aaron Baines can remain locked in and play consistently over the course of however many minutes they play each game, if they can just wall up defensively and just play their respective roles offensively. And that's Nathan Sobey being slasher scorer guy. That's Aaron Baines uh, just guarding upright, uh, setting hard screens, rolling to the rim, easy finishes around the rim. If those guys can do those things, then I think everything else will sort of fall into place. That's that's what I think is going to happen. Shannon Scott and Mitch Norton are just really organized. They're just the point guards you need to keep this offense flowing over the course of a 40-minute game. And I think... I don't think, outside of Sam McDaniel, who was great, I don't think the Bullets got 
a ton of scoring from those ancillary guys, and I think they will get it. And so I sort of trust the foundation of what that team has. It shouldn't be a surprise that this Bullets team didn't panic to start the game because of all the guys that you mentioned, the veterans. This is a pretty old team. I don't know where it ranks in terms of the average age of guys that are going to be in the starting lineup, but whether it's Sobey, Baines, Scott, who you mentioned, uh, Norton coming off the bench and playing mm. big minutes, which is just going to be steady. Uh, I think this is a pretty... Uh, this should be a team that you can tune into, assuming that health or hoping that health stays uh, in good order for the Bullets. I think this is going to be a team that you're going to expect to be super competitive night in, night out. I think you've got them in the playoff mix. I've got them in the play-in mix at the moment, but I thought it was a really impressive start. The Bullets have been a team for years that have been talking about getting a point guard to play alongside Nathan Sobey. They got it with the import in Shannon Scott, and I think he was one of the guys that was overlooked last year with the Cairns Taipans because he doesn't do anything flashy, and the Cairns Taipans were a team. They were up and down. They had guys playing above the rim. They were really fun to watch, and Scott is just steady and he had seven assists in this game to just two turnovers that's right on where his average was last year he was one of the best guys in the league for assist to turnover ratio so I think putting him out there for 30 minutes a night allows Nathan Sobey to be off the ball a little bit and go for those baseline jams which was one of the highlights of the weekend he looked like he had the spring back in his legs as well so Shannon Scott maybe not a big name uh, import signing I thought he was underrated last year with the Taipans and I'm pretty sure Nathan Sobey is going to have a lot of fun playing alongside him. So the Bullets, who were not in a great position last year coming into the season, mostly because of health and just not great preparation, it's completely different this year, and they're in a in a position where they can be competitive from the start. So it's exciting uh, for those veterans on those teams who looked pretty good. It's just an, it's annoying because we knew this for so many years, that you just had to put a point guard next to Nathan Sobey. That's all you needed to do. Um and it didn't even it didn't have to be Derek Walton Jr. or Casper Ware or whatever. It just had to be someone solid, someone who's going to help the Bullets get into their stuff. And Sobe can can play. Uh, he the, the he can be the best version of himself, which is largely playing off the ball and doing that sort of stuff. So it's annoying that it took this long. Um, I like that it is Shannon Scott. Uh, that's just someone who is just so steady and so reliable. It doesn't have to be flashy, but he just gets the job done. Um, I think. A, a big part of the Bullets' success this season, and maybe something that they're going to r- sort of ride with, is Tyrell Harrison mm. as this team's backup five. Uh, he has the potential to be to make such an impact for this team because I think his talent is just severely underrated just because he's been injured for so many years. Uh, if he can come in and do what he did, which is finish lobs, he has good touch around the rim, he is huge, uh, he is a rim deterrent, if he can do that, then this Bullets team, they they have, they have, they got you in every position. And every position has a backup that they don't lose much every time, right? You go from Scott to Norton, you don't lose much. You go from Baines to Harrison, you don't mm-hmm. lose much, right? They can do that across the, the board, and that is unreal. That is, that is a really impressive thing that they can do. Um, and I know people will be hounding on Justin Schuller to play Rocco. Mm. Uh, Rocco 17. Right, it, it's difficult. We, we've seen over the course of the first week of this season, it's very difficult to play the kids. Right, you these coaches firstly need wins, but also there are proven guys who you are going to trust to put out there before you put the kids out there. Early in the season, these teams aren't historically, or it's not their natural inclination to say, "Yep, we're just going to develop 
the guys and not worry about that. As you pointed to, they're going to go with the guys that they trust. So we'll see as the season wears on if there's minutes there for Rocco. And, and look, hopefully the Bullets, their big man rotation is healthy throughout the season and he earns his minutes uh, that way. But not everyone is in the position like the Perth Wildcats with someone like Alex o who comes in and is so impactful. Hook Porty, obviously he's played professional basketball for a long time now, despite his age. But those guys are just in a in a little different position for their development so far. Uh, the Breakers, I've got one question on the Breakers, and they were impressive. They handled uh, the Cairns Taipans. Parker Jackson Cartwright was outstanding. He was good during the Blitz. He was mm. even better in this opener, 25 points, 8 assists. How do you think, because I think this will be a question mark, and maybe there's not an answer just yet. Uh, how do you think he fits alongside Will McDowell-White? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and McDowell-White is more than likely returning for Thursday's game. Yep. Um, so we'll get to see it. I, I don't know. And and I don't, I've spoken with people in that organization today. I don't know if they're going to start Parker Jackson Cartwright yeah. or bring him off the bench. I think he's too talented to come off the bench, but so is Barry Brown Jr., so I, I don't know what the solution is going to be there. When I spoke with Modi at the Blitz, I told him, like, is it, how cool is it to have someone of Jackson Cartwright's level to, to come off the bench again like he did with Barry Brown? Hmm. And he, he said, you think he's going to come off the bench? <laughs> and so I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued because I, I think Jackson Cartwright can shoot it well enough, and I think McDowell White can shoot it well enough that they can play off each other. Um, this is it's similar to like what Southeast has with sort of two ball-carrying guards at the one and two, I, I think that the size probably does average up. But I guess having someone like McDowell White, who's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, is just helpful. You can you can throw him on you know a wing and it's fine. Um, I, think they play to, I think they'll play together just fine. I think Jackson Cartwright shoots it well enough. I think they can both play off the ball. And I think they'll, they'll guard even better. Um, and it's that some of the lineups that this team can throw out there is going to be crazy. They can maybe put... I was, I was thinking about this earlier. Is it the best five, the best five-man group? Maybe outside of what United can put out there. I, I wonder if the Breakers have that in McDowell White, Jackson Cartwright, Jessup, Delaney, Cheatham. Uh, the only thing, the only kind of crew that I think can compete with that is Delhi, Ely, CG, Travers, JLA, or Hookporty. So I'm intrigued. I think the McDowell White, and if he is able to play. Uh, this Thursday night, the Breakers at home again against that team, the Bullets, which is going to be an interesting game. In fact, it's a really good double on Thursday because the team that the Breakers beat, the Cairns Taipans, they'll be at home against the Phoenix, and that's probably a game that they think they can win or both teams will feel like uh, they might be able to win there. So interesting, I think the Breakers and the Taipans need to see a little bit more, and I'm excited to see what they do with the rotation with McDowell White and Parker Jackson Cartwright as well. A couple other teams we haven't touched on yet. Uh, the Tassie Jack Jumpers. That was a pretty entertaining game. It yeah. might have been the pick as I try and think. Was that the pick of the games over the weekend? I think so. Tasmania-Perth, I found that really entertaining. There were some yeah. big shots uh, from both teams there. I think I still feel pretty comfortable suggesting this is the best offensive firepower we've seen from a Jack Jumpers team in their existence. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I still think the, the jury is out on Jordan Crawford mm -hmm. and his fit on the team. I think as an individual, he's great. But just the fit there, I'm intrigued. I want to see how it plays out. Because we saw in the Blitz and in that first game as well that the ball needs to be in Milton Doyle's hands to end games. He was good again. He was amazing. <laughs> and I, he's incredible. He's He makes the right decision every time. He draws so much attention. Like he's 
Milton Doyle is like I I can't speak highly enough of how effective he is out there. Um, but is Jordan Crawford the best complimentary guy to be out there with him? Um, Scott Roth sort of bristled at a question about Crawford's shooting and that his shooting splits have not been particularly amazing over the past few seasons and, and to start his short career with a jack jumper so far. Um, and Roth asked the journalist, I don't know who the journalist was, uh, are you going off the numbers or are you watching? And the guy said, I'm going off the numbers. And Roth is pretty adamant. No, we, we like him. He's a great player. He's, he's what we want. Um, but the numbers are, are, are real. <laughs> the data is the data. It's just, it, it is what it is. Um, and so I'm intrigued to see how well he can continue to play off the ball to Milton Doyle. Because over the course of a game, the ball in Crawford's hand is cool. But when it push comes to shove, I want it in Milton Doyle's hands. And you want guys out there that are going to compliment him. I think it was one of the questions last year with the Jack Jumpers. There was many games where, and they were winning a lot, so it was yeah. actually fine. But there was a lot of games where I thought, and it happened again the other night where Doyle finishes with 12 shot attempts. And I know you can't just go off the box score, but I was definitely got to the end of the game and thought, geez, he played 36 minutes in this game. Let's yeah. get let's get this man a few more shot attempts because it just feels like every shot feels like the right shot. He's got the size. He's got the length. He can get to his spots really comfortably. So Milton Doyle is going to be another one of my favorites to watch uh, this season. And the Jack Jumpers this week, I think it's pretty evident at this point that I'm excited to watch every game. But Friday night on ESPN, 7.30 p.m., Jackies and the Kings doesn't mm. get much better than that because I thought, and I said that the Tasmania-Perth game was maybe my favorite of the weekend. I thought Sydney-Illawarra might have been the wildest game of the weekend. For much of this night, I didn't know what the heck was going on. The ball was just pinging up and down. It was turnovers left, right, and center. There was shots in the first second, uh, six seconds of the of the shot clock. I expect that the Sydney Kings will play fast. I think they'll settle down a little bit more than this, but ultimately they did pick up the win. And I just want to reference the stretch in the game that busted this thing open when the Hawks looked like they were coming back into it. So Tyler Harvey hits a three with 4.19 to go in the fourth quarter, closes the game to 81.75. And you're like, all right, strap in here. This could be a big finish, particularly if Tyler Harvey is pulling up in transition like he was to hit that three. And then Quatnoy hit a three. They got to stop. Galloway hits a three. Quatnoy hits another three. Galloway finishes a lob. It's an 11-3 run in 90 seconds, and the game's over. And when we spoke about the Kings last week, one of the reasons why I still would have them as my title favorites at this very ridiculously early stage is because last year, the reason they beat so many teams and they were so good in the fourth quarter is because of the different lineups they were able to go to and the trust in the guys off the bench. And whether or not Galloway is starting doesn't quite matter right now. DJ Hogue wasn't there. But it's round one, and straight away again, it was Quatnoy and Galloway not the import superstars that were hitting the big shots. And the Kings just continue to do this. And with all the guys they've still got out there, Bruce and uh, everyone else uh, that's going to be on this team, that's why I've got so much trust in them. Yeah, I I was disappointed in Illawarra, and I'm not down on them. I, I still think they're going to be pretty good. I just didn't think they were ready. I thought they'd be way more organized than this going to that first game. They just weren't ready for sort of the onslaught that the Kings were going to push on them. The Kings started running. They played with force. They just they were downhill, and the Hawks sort of folded, which was unfortunate because I thought we'd get a, a really competitive game. Um, it was weird as well because it almost looked like what the Kings did was aimless, but there is method to what they're doing. Um, and then defensively, I found it so interesting. So the, the Kings switch everything. 
mm. and they're just like un- they un- they unabashedly do it. They it's whatever. And when you have Alex Tui switching on Sam Froling, there should be an expectation that for the Hawks, you get a down low and you should get a bucket every time. There's a seven footer over a six eight Alex Tui. To Tui's credit, he did a great job walling up, blocking shots, just being upright and just being big. Um, and it's like that was effective. And I think those young guys, when I say, I said earlier, you can't play the kids, the Sydney Kings are the opposite of that because Tui is arguably their best overall defender and Jalen Galloway is one of the best point of attack defenders in the league. The fact that you can play two of your kids on top of what they can do in general, which is throw Jalen Adams at you and when Hogue comes back, they'll throw him at you. But hmm. Denzel Valentine goes out there, has 10 assists in that game. Jordy Hunter looks like he's about to take a step up. Jonah Bolden hits some shots and quite no, he goes out and hits six threes. They can just hit you in so many different ways. Um, and so if this team can continue to guard, then they're just going to be so tough to stop because they just ram it right down your throat. And if you're not ready for that first impact, then you're down and it's really tough to recover from that point, especially when Sydney gets into a flow. And once they get chemistry, man, they're going to be tough to stop. I was just thinking through this over the last sort of 24, 48 hours, and it was off the back of that game. And I remember last year when we did our far too early awards predictions uh, with the NBL, I had Kuat as most improved player last year. And... I thought he had some big moments. He clearly had some big moments, and I thought it was by far the most impactful season he's had in the NBL. Mm. Kwatnoi or Galloway, is there a chance the Sydney Kings have two of the three finalists by the time the season's done? Because what, what do you have to do to qualify to be most improved? Your, your role generally has to go up. Yeah, I think both of those guys are absolutely in line, and maybe it would be easier for Galloway because he, he didn't play a lot last season to come into calculations there. But if you look across the league, you you ask the question, how can teams get better? Particularly, how can the contenders get better? Jalen Adams, I thought, looked good to start. But if you're looking for growth within the organization, I think the Kings walk away from the blitz, what they've seen in training camp, and now round one feeling pretty good about that internal growth from some of their younger guys. Yeah, we speak about depth a lot. And the fact that we watched Quatnoy do that and he did it in the playoffs last season yep. too. He could start. He's not scared. Let's no, be. I think he could. <laughs> That's no, one thing no, to say. No, and it's hilarious <laughs> because when you speak to anyone who was at practices throughout the preseason, Quatnoy would play in those practices like he would play in NBL one. Yeah, NBL one North, where he would just catch it and just eyes on the rim, and he would just play. He plays with that sort of like aggression, which is great. Um, my guess is that his his game will sort of taper down a little bit when DJ Hogue returns. Whereas I think Jalen Galloway will continue to get a similar level of sort of minutes and opportunity. Um, so I feel like he's someone who they're going to lean on a little bit more. I think he, I don't think his minutes are going anywhere. Um, whereas Quats will diminish a little bit when Hogue comes back. They, are, they will still be, at least from an impact standpoint, two of the most improved players in the league, which is crazy when we already talk about how good the Kings are how experienced they are when it comes to winning and the depth that they have. The fact that two of their guys who have been there for like quite is going into his second season with the team and second or third, second. Uh, and Galloway's going into, I think his fourth season, third, third or fourth season with the team. Mm. He's only 20. Hmm. Like the, the potential of these guys is incredible. And just the growth from year to year is sick. Um, they're, 
This is a team that once healthy, they just they have it all to compete. And if Abdel Fattah sort of finds sort of finds a way to make an impact in, in the FIBA game, I think I think this team could be the one. They look pretty good, no question, and uh, they like getting a win in the rivalry game uh, to start the season. Last team we haven't touched on. I don't think there's a lot to talk about right now, but all I will say for the Adelaide 36ers, you've got a trip to Perth and then you've got a trip to Sydney in this round. Uh, that's about as brutal as it can possibly get, particularly because I think the Perth Wildcats will look to respond there. And offensively, I do think they've got the firepower. Uh, the 36ers, I know you've reported on it. You've discussed it. They're looking for an import. They they need it. They they just need it. They, they looked like a team outside of that early run against uh, Brisbane and they were competitive against Melbourne but ultimately they just feel like they are short on the offensive end by a fair way. Yeah, they can't score. They they have having trouble rebounding. Uh it's just it's just not great right now. And it sucks because they've had glimpses. Yeah. There have been times where you think, "All right, maybe they're finding it. They're, they're getting it together." Uh I spoke with some people in that team and they said that the week leading into the season where everyone was healthy, uh Things look good in practice. There was like a defensive identity that they were playing with. And I don't think the defense has been too bad, to be honest. It just they just don't have like the, the pieces to be able to compete for forty minutes. They just don't have that. And so they need that that import. Um and I think roles just have to be defined as well. Right? Like McCarran plays a lot of the one, but then we sort of see him get into that mode where he's not as aggressive as he should be. He gets a little bit passive. And then you have that first game where Toy Smith Milner plays a lot of minutes, and he really doesn't play in that second game because Kyron Galloway does. You got to you got to make decisions here. Um, I don't know why you're not playing Kyron Galloway more. I think Jacob Wiley has been sort of a bright spot for that team. Yeah, yes. Um, he looks really different to what he was a few seasons ago in Adelaide, but he's just super smart out there. I think he makes good reads. Uh, his energy is good, and that's what I like. He cares, and they, that team just needs someone who cares, and hopefully everyone can sort of build on the back of it. And they need something to feel good about themselves. And maybe if they get a win in Perth or Sydney this weekend, that would certainly help. Because going on four, it's it's a tough start, particularly for a team that you know, externally the, there is a lot of talk about. There's a lot of pressure on those guys. So we'll see how they can be uh, competitive this weekend. But as I mentioned, it starts Thursday night, round two of the NBL. Of course, you know uh, the place to watch all these games uh, is on ESPN. I mentioned some of the columns we've got going on, lots of cool stuff on ESPN.com.au, so make sure you check this out. And uh, we got some new artwork for this podcast, the yeah. ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. We've got Alex in the room here filming, and uh, uh, he's he stayed awake throughout this podcast, which we're very happy about. Nice. He's absolutely on fire. Loz put together the graphics as well. He does a lot of hard work for us up in Sydney. So it's a new start to this podcast with me and you. We're going to be here every single week. So if you're into the NBL, we're going to have NBA stuff along the way and everything Aussie Hoops related, uh, whether it is uh, the WNBL and obviously everyone doing stuff across the world in Australian basketball. So make sure you subscribe, uh, follow whatever platform it is on, turn the notifications on and you will see uh, when we drop the episode. We're going to try for every single Tuesday, Alex, but sometimes things get in the way. I think we'll be pretty consistent. Yes. As consistent as we can be. We're, we're both in Melbourne. Sometimes we, we're forced to do trips elsewhere and we'll, we'll make it work otherwise, but we're generally here. And and for those at home, that's a pro tip in shouting out your producers and the people who that's right. who sort of edit and the hard produ- produce the podcast because then there's more more likely that the podcast will get up quicker and, and videos will be made from it. Uh, there, there are no secrets here. 
All we do is show up and talk about basketball. We've got a pretty damn easy job, Ogs. But this has been a lot of fun. As I said, we'll definitely be back next week. Uh, big round two. It was a crazy start. Lots to talk about. We're still just trying to iron out what the storylines are moving forward in the NBL, but we might get some more answers or ideas coming from this weekend. So make sure you join us again next Tuesday. Enjoy the basketball over the weekend. This has been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. I'm Kane. That's Olgan. We'll see you next Tuesday.